I think trust is the ambionic fluid. I think it's what we're floating around in and either we're not floating because we got a hole in it somewhere and it just it's just spewing out, it's going out faster and, and we're not really floating, we're just flopping. And so I think, to be honest with you, I think trust is what we need to be elevating into the holistic conversation that we're having here. All the things we've talked about and all the things we haven't talked about lead to that mysterious thing of trust. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. Today, we have Dr. Boomer Brown with us, and he's talking today about people-centric organizations. The title is, It All Starts With People, Leadership Strategies to Grow Your People and Your Business. Dr. Brown is the Chief Encouragement Officer and the visionary for an organization called Doing Good at Work. And boy, this is the conversation of our time. He's going to talk about what it really means to focus on having healthy people in your organization, the role of cultures of psychological safety, what it really means to put your people first. He's going to go from A to Z, all the soups, all the nuts, everything you need to know about what it takes to have a real intentional and purposeful people strategy. He's going to keep harping on that, folks, this idea of having a strategy around your people, not just some simple ideas or concept. He's going to talk about the role of trust in this entire process and the vital role of leaders in building cultures, what he calls the amniotic fluid in people-first cultures, that being trust. It is, as we said, the conversation of our day and our time. In fact, Dr. Brown's going to talk about the way things have shifted over the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic and this time of social unrest and how we have in front of us today an opportunity to really get it right when it comes to our people. Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are thrilled to be back here today with Dr. Boomer Brown. And I, I met Dr. Brown, Boomer. We're just going to call you Boomer. Is that all right? Yeah, that's great. I actually remember where I met you. I met you at the restaurant at Crabtree Mall when yeah. Craig did an introduction with about five of us. And it's got to be six, seven years ago now, I hate to say. Yeah. So it's been a while. I don't that's know right. if we've even chat. I think we've seen each other since, but not a whole lot. And Dr. Brown brings a fascinating, I'm going to say, approach and mindset and passion to the topic today, sure. which is people, people in leadership. He is the CEO, which stands for Chief Encouragement Officer and the visionary for an organization called Doing Good at Work. He's been a business owner, leader, educator, international conference speaker, author, executive coach, board member and advisor. His leadership has gotten him the respect of not only business, but community leaders across industries and cities. He's got over 37 years of business experience, and this is the part I love. He believes that work and business are good. It <laughs> is a must, and that companies must invest in their people, their leaders, and their process right. to yield the greatest profitability. So he's bringing it all together 
and I'm going to just finish with this, this simple phrase, five words. It all starts with people. Hundred percent. Thank you. Yeah, great to have you, Boomer. Yeah, and just just for the audience, I'll say I've known Boomer for many years, and he's the real deal. Uh, He he practices what he preaches, and he's just he loves on people. So the chief encouragement officer is a great title. That's great. Well, thank you, Craig. Thank you, Jeff, for letting me share with you today. We appreciate you and all the many things that uh, you do. Uh, Like like Craig said. uh, you know, I've known Craig for many years. We've actually been uh, conference speakers together before. And uh, so, like uh, Jeff said, we met and I keep up with you on Facebook, different places. So even though we hadn't seen each other, hey, it's like uh, it was just yesterday. So thank right you for on, letting Boomer. me be a part of what you're doing. So, Boomer, give everybody a little bit of the background story. Yeah, I, um, you know, a lot of people ask me about uh business and what I've done and my education. And I usually start out with this uh, little, uh, uh, you know, thought is this, if you looked at my resume, uh, you either come away with one or two ideas, either Boomer can't keep a job or number two, uh, God's up to something pretty cool in Boomer's life. And I choose option number two. So <laughs> I've had a very unique background in the sense of shaping me into the leader that I am today. And it really uh, is very good for uh, you know, the platform that I'm currently utilizing. Uh, it allows me to have a, a broad understanding. Uh, I can talk about lots of different things. Uh, you know, I have been a dean at a college. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, an IBM executive for a number of years with global services, uh, traveled all over the world, working with contracts and different things. I mean, uh, but at the end of the day, there's always a string that kind of uh, ties it all together. And I think it's that string that you said earlier, Jeff, it, it really has all been about people. If I really want a good organization and I want my organization, business, nonprofit, for profit, whatever it is to grow, then the important thing is to make sure that you have healthy people and that you're working with your people, that you're making that investment there. So there's lots of ways to do that. I think we get hung up on the traditional ways. Uh, you know, the traditional pathways for development. But I think there's some pretty cool ways that you can do that. We totally agree with your perspective that that we got to take care of our people. Um, now, you you also had a couple stints as pastor of some megachurches yeah. as well, yeah, right? Yeah, I did. I did. I have uh, served as a pastor. Uh, you know, and people say, ooh, that's some kind of uh, virus <laughs> or something. And, uh, you know, the thing about that is, uh, you know, the traditional education path for most business people is we go get a business degree at school or we get something our undergraduate, then we get our MBA and then whatever else we go into. Well, mine looks a little bit different. Uh, you know, I have four different degrees, one in psychology, one in business, uh, one in religion. And then you start getting into these specified things. I have a master of divinity degree uh, with a specialization in Greek language. So technically, I'm a Greek scholar. And uh, then, you know, my PhD is I actually wrote it while I was at the IBM company. It's called the Integration of Technology and Theology. And it's kind of the marriage of these ideas that uh, there is some kind of theological significance uh, to how we go about doing business. And uh, so, you know, that's that's kind of how I marry that. Uh, you know, I just try to keep things very practical, uh, very authentic, simple, real and uh, I've I just been able to integrate a lot of that into my thinking. So, so Boomer, one question I want to ask. You're, you're talking about people. You're all about yes. people, about service. And recently, I can't remember where, I said something that I realized when I said it, I think it was wrong. 
And when I, what I said was we have to get back to putting our people first. That's right. And then I thought about it and you and I are similar ages. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I don't know that people have really been first before in my lifetime. So I'm thinking maybe we're not getting back to something. We're creating something new. So I'm curious about your perspective on that over multi-decades of looking at organizations and leadership. Right. Have people really been first the way we're ta- you're talking about today? Well, I think it's a great question and a great observation that you made. And I would probably agree with you. Uh, when I first started this, I thought that most companies were mostly interested in profit and people were kind of a sidelight and HR was not necessarily a part of the C-suite. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things we had to have and people were there. So I think there's a rich history of people, uh, non-people centric companies that we could look at. But what I've discovered over the years, as I've milled around through history and I've looked through uh, different companies and, you know, read different books and different articles and just explored some things, is in the midst of all of that, what seems like an overwhelming number of companies that's profit first, not people first, there is a bunch of good companies that really cared about people. And what's really unique is if you look and you can look at something like Uh, as simple as good to great, which probably your audience know about that book. You can look at that and you can see the importance of people in that book. Uh, You can look at newer publications like Traction and EOS and Gino Wickman. And and you can see there at the same time that the number two piece is people. Understand your vision, then understand your people and how you bring them along. It really is uh, comes before. So I, I would agree that most companies, the overwhelming majority, do uh, think about the profit side first. And that's why I say that's important. You can't take care of your people if you don't have a profit, but you <laughs> won't sure. have a profit if you don't take care of your people. That's right. So it, it's kind of a, you know, it goes hand in hand. So good question. That's one of the things we like to do. Remember you, you mentioned a phrase that I think, I think it's a newer phrase. I don't think it's been part of the conversation for a long time. And that is, you said, you need healthy people. That was the word you used, healthy. Mm-hmm. To talk about what healthy people means and why is that important? Yeah, one of the things that we've had foundationally as our training and coaching and produ- the production of content and things that we do uh, for organizations is this idea of looking holistically at a person. And uh, we early created a model that I designed uh, probably about 10 years ago where it looked at the physical, mental, emotional, the social, and the spiritual side of an individual. And we know that all those things kind of go together uh, in a unique formation to create a healthy person. And you have to take care of yourself physically. You need to take care of yourself, we know, emotionally. The mental side, sometimes we miss that. That's not about mental health. That's really about, are you as a leader, as an individual, loading your tank every day with new, fresh ideas and information that help you to keep the juices flowing? Social. I mean, people, meeting with people, uh, relationships, and something that has been overlooked for a long period of time, which I think there's a tremendous amount of uh, empirical data that would support this, is the spiritual spot side, whatever that means to a person to be spiritual, that's an important part of that makeup. For sure. So healthy people, understanding where people are, 
this was kind of the early role of HR, kind of looking out for people and interest. And I think over the years, what's happened is uh, payroll and benefits and compliance have in some ways hijacked HR. And we forgot about the health of our people. And uh, I'm telling you, healthy people working in a healthy culture and environment in a company will produce tremendous creative ideas, potential profit. It's a much better way to get to the end than just a forcing something. This is a natural system that works integratively together to create an environment for growth. And that's that's why we think health is important. It's also a lot more fun. Yes, it is. Fun is good. Caring is good. These are things that are important to us. So, Boomer, there's uh, I'm sure there's someone that said it before. Just in my mind, the person who has really escalated the idea of this sort of holistic safety, psychological safety at work. Yes. Is Simon Sinek for me. Yes. He talks about it a lot. I've also recently spoken to some HR leaders and was really surprised that only a, a relatively small percentage even ever heard of the concept. Yeah. And so speak to this idea. Where do you see that today in organizations and leadership, that concept of creating a culture of holistic safety? Yeah, I think, to be honest with you, Jeff, I think today's environment, because of some of the things that have transpired over the last couple of years, they have placed us in a unique place where this is bubbling up to the top. You know, if you look back, through, uh, you know, history of business, there's always been this friction uh, between what we'll call senior leadership, ownership, those kind of things, and those who were employed in delivering the services. And there's always been skepticism. And, you know, if you read after Covey and you talk about the speed of trust, or you read after Ken Blanchard and you talk about servant leadership, and, and there's so many great things out there and newer sources of information now that have kind of pushed this to the forefront today. So I, I think, uh, you know, to use an overly overused uh, illustration, I think there is a perfect storm. I think there's people's, uh, you know, disgruntledness with their work today. You know, there was a recent uh, factoid that came out from uh, Society of HR Managers, SHRM, that said that about 55% of women feel depleted in their work and about 41% of men feel depleted in their work. Mm. I think people are feeling depleted. They're feeling frustrated. They're feeling, uh, they're worried. I think when you get that wave going against the wave of a pandemic, economic stresses, uh, the potentiality of uh, different economic factors that are affecting us personally. I mean, and and then you take another uh, seeming uh, pressure uh, which goes together with the other two, economic, the business health, the growth, the opportunity of work, the opportunity of problem. You get those together and you got a perfect storm. So I think what you have is an environment today that could potentially be more open to actually caring for our people, their health, their well-being, uh, their ability to produce, their personal and professional development. These are all things that are important. It's a complete package. Well, I love that you said that. And I, I agree with you. It's an opportunity. And I think the question is who will seize it and who won't. That's right. And my my just sort of small, my world, I think some, I feel like some of the leaders are just overwhelmed by this idea yes. that, you know, I just, my my new book just came out last week and I have a whole section on 
suggesting, which I think is sort of radical, that not only can work be a safe place, but it can actually be part of the solution. Yes. If we build a workplace that's more nurturing and supportive, that actually work can be a respite from some of the stress of life. Yes. Yeah. But I think a lot of the feedback I've heard is, first of all, is that my job? That's Second right. of all, how the heck do I do that? I'm just trying to run a company. So I guess talk about the challenges leaders have today of doing it the people first way, where yeah. they perceive it as another thing to do versus, yes. which I think for you is an integrated way to do yes, things. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and I think that's a very good observation is that what we have is kind of this old guard, the way we've done this, the way we've been trained to do this, the way, uh, you know, traditionally way we've done it. And then we have a new generation of people coming up that are thinking differently. And they're looking, they want more from their work. They want work to be fulfilling. They want work <laughs> to have a purpose. They want work to matter for something. If I'm going to make a, imagine that. Uh, wow. If I'm going to make a widget, I want it to be to make people better. And, and because of that, I, I think right where you are is this changing of the guard and moving that way to where we actually are able. Now, sure, there's going to be resistance. But I think there's also this positive, you know, where you have pushback here, you also have pushback there. And I believe the wave, the weight of people wanting life to be better is heavier than wanting just my profit or whatever it else to be better. Now, to answer your question, most leaders are not trained to do this. And uh, how deep do you really need to go into doing this as a leader? It, it's a very precarious, narrow area to walk into. It can be daunting task. You don't know. That's why I say something like uh, doing good at work, where you have a partner that helps you think about your people strategy. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about people strategy. It's not just, am I going to provide them benefits? Am I going to make sure they're getting their $15 an hour or whatever it is to, so they don't jump ship? You know, it's not necessarily about, uh, you know, all of the compliance issues. Uh, you know, what it is about is looking holistically at the entire people strategy process. And you need people who think about this in creative ways to come along beside you to have that conversation. And I'm not trying to force anybody to do anything they don't want to. But what I am trying to get you to do is to ask critical questions to think about what exactly are we doing? You know, where is it that we want our people to land? Do we want to retain them? Do we want to develop them? Do we want to get better? You know, and how do we do that? And a lot of times we don't know how to do that because we hadn't done it that way before. Now, sometimes it looks like there are so many different things to do. And yet, if the leaders would actually just reach out and have conversations with people and listen, how important yes. is that in the process? Mm -hmm. And is it is it something that is is mandatory? Or can they start somewhere, put something in place, make some changes to hopefully impact the culture? Or do they really need to listen to their people? Well, let me say this, we're really good at creating solutions in a vacuum. <laughs> don't complicate my solution thing here with people and don't complicate it with what's really going on just let me create a solution we'll sit in rooms and do that all the time yep. you've hit on one of the key factors is listening to your people it's asking the right questions it's being able to get 
the feedback that you need. You know, one of the things we use uh, as a tool that is available to anybody because it's been around since the mid 60s is referred to as Bloom's Taxonomy. It's a way of teaching people. The lowest level, if you drew a pyramid and the lowest level of that is actually knowledge. You know what? We know a lot of stuff, <laughs> but the second tier is we don't really understand how that stuff goes together. So some of it is just having this conversation around how what we know actually is something that we understand. And then just like you said, the third tier is to apply it, you know, apply it to something. Make Don't try to do everything. Just figure out the something. That's why you need a strategy. Nobody, you don't go to marketing without your strategy. You don't go to your, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to do, your product development without a strategy. Why would you go without a people strategy? And trying to figure out where do we start? Do we start with some simple surveys? Do we start with some small focus groups? Do we, uh, you know, do we start with some one-on-one meetings? Depending on the size of your company, there are lots of different ways to do this. But how do we completely and fully demonstrate to people that we want to hear their opinion? People feel like leadership doesn't respect and want to hear their opinion. And we have to bend over backwards demonstrate that we do to offset that you know force that's pushing us in the other way how so much, you, go ahead i'm sorry how much of that is fear on the leader's side of mm-hmm. saying wow you know if i ask them they might actually tell me something that is going to be costly or impossible mm-hmm. to implement or you know is going to radically impact our profitability or whatever those things are how much of that is fear based versus they just don't think about it I think that's a big part of it, you know, because it really not only, you know, what produces fear is the loss of control. Hmm. And one of our innate human desires is to have control of every situation that we're in. And, you know, I try to tell leaders up front, if you want to be healthy, then you need to understand that you don't have control. (laughs) Imagine that. And that just totally freaks them out because their fear that if I opened up Pandora's box, I don't know who she is or where that box is, but I'm not sure I want to mess with it. But but anyway, it's the fact that you're sitting there dealing with people and you're making all kinds of assumptions about the situation. And until you have conversation and really listen, which is a skill, and some leaders need to learn how to do that. <laughs> Uh, you know, and that's, you know, one of the things we teach at the very base at what we do is Socratic learning. Mm. And Socratic learning is based on Socrates' ability to ask questions, to ask the right question, and then to listen. Mm. And don't presume. Listen for what's saying. Because here's a, here's a term, and I'll let you ask another question that you, that you be aware of. You know, am I aware of what they're not saying? When they're talking to me, they may be using words, and words don't mean a thing unless you connect them to pictures. You have to get the picture in your mind. If you can get the picture in your mind, then from there, you can move to that glorious place called transformation. Hmm. And so understanding is really important. Making application, getting feedback off the top of the learning pyramid is creativity. Hmm. That's where you want. That's true learning. Boomer, uh, you talked about the role of fear and not having done it this way. Again, limited universe, but bigger than some. 
the number one thing I hear from leaders is some general acceptance of the idea of people, time for people. I mean, more often I hear people, it's pretty infrequent that someone says, I don't care about my people or that. But the thing they'll say is, I just don't have time. I wish I had more time. And it seems like leadership, I'm doing air quotes now, has become so much about doing and not about people that, and I don't know when that happened. I feel like there probably wasn't a moment, but there was a shift because today when leaders get promoted to a higher level of leaders, their biggest challenge is I don't, I got so much to do and now I have more to do. I don't have time for my people. So talk about that challenge or at least perceived challenge for leaders of not having time because they're so busy doing things. Yeah, two things. One is to answer some of the question about where did this come from, I I think it's come from the idea of metrifying business and turning everything into a measurable metric. Now, I'm all about data. You need to have a scorecard. You know, I go to the doctor and when I go to the doctor, he checks my pulse, he checks my breathing, he checks my blood. Those are getting the vital signs. You need the vital signs, but you don't need 500,000 vital signs. You need about five. You maybe need six. So we get over enamored going back to trying to control that the data can lead us to the promised land because Mm -hmm. it's the ticket. And data is just a stream of numbers, zeros and ones, if you want to get to that level. And it, it doesn't mean a thing outside of the context of how we apply it to people. So when you, that's kind of how that got hijacked, you know, going back to what do you do now with, as a leader, when you got so many things to do, well, you got to get back to the basic foundation. Why do I do what I do? Who am I when I'm doing this? What is it that I actually do? You know, how do I go? That's what we call our eye chart. You know, you go to the doctor, you look at the eye chart. Those are the words up there. The why, what, when, how, all those things. You got to understand that. You got to have that purpose, mission, values, those things that everybody talks about. Uh, you know, whoever you're reading or listening to, you got to have those. But then when you know that that's foundational and what your purpose really is, then you've got to figure out a system and a structure. That's why we teach uh, David Allen's Getting Things Done. And, you know, you got to know. If whatever's hitting you, thousand emails, a thousand calls, a thousand people, whatever it is, it's just ramming your network. And it's called interference constantly in a radio frequency mentality. I mean, it's just jamming. It's jamming the system and your system's all jammed up. Here's the question that helps you unjam the system. Is there an actionable item here? Is there something I'm supposed to do? If there's not, guess what? It's only got one of three places to go. One, it goes in the garbage can. One, it goes in the future usage, or it goes into research. What if it has an actionable item? Well, have you figured out what your project is? It's having a system. What, where does it go? What's the next actionable item? And sometimes as leaders, we need to just stop for just a moment. If we're going to be healthy, remember, that's the goal, healthy leaders is we got to have these systems that help us navigate this very precarious space that we live in today because we got way too much data and we're too infatuated with data. <laughs> and, uh, it will always prevent us. It, it's what I call distractions. We're distracted from the most important things. 
So what are the most important things? So Boomer, I, I got to ask you, did you make up that word metrifying? I, uh, I think that. I think so. I, I love I, it. <laughs> I'm sure. I, yeah, I'm not sure I can spell it. I always say I can't use the word unless I can spell it. And I'm not sure I can spell that. So that's all right. I made my Metrify. best attempt. Yeah, that's I good. love it. I think that's a really good way to look at it because I heard you saying that it's yeah. not about getting rid of systems because mm -hmm. you mentioned the systems and they're important, yes. but looking at those systems from a people centric way yes. and also making sure they're actionized, right. David Allen, what's the next action mm -hmm. and using some of the data, but with the, the data is, um, is a means it's not the end. That's exactly right. Yeah, I say this because I think sometimes when leaders hear me talk, they think I'm not for profit. I'm not for data. I'm not for all the things that they think are important. But what I'm saying is, and, and this is our tagline, we're making people better. We're making process better. We're making profitability better. We're making things better. And I didn't say get rid of data. I didn't say get rid of profit. I didn't say get rid of process. I said to start with people, make them better, see if their creative abilities can't help you make all those other things that are so important better. Yep. Because at the end of the day, I think we all, whatever it means, we want to be better. Okay. And you have your definition of better and I have mine and everybody should. So. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. 
Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Welcome back. Well, I was just thinking about one of our guests about two months ago. Mark Peters was his name. Yes. Or is his name? Uh, Butterball Farms. Mm-hmm. And one thing he talked about when he took over the company very unexpectedly when his father passed away, he said it wasn't a very people-centric company. And he said it just didn't seem right. And they adopted a simple mission, which was two words, as I remember it, enrich lives. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the people in the organization first. And he definitely, I th- my takeaway was it was all about a holistic approach. Yes. And it has really worked well, and it seems to have an incredible culture. So to your point earlier, there are leaders mm-hmm. who are doing it and taking risk yeah. and doing it. And I think that's one of the realities that leaders face today, which is part of leadership. You can know where you want to go, but it doesn't mean that there's not risk associated, not with the strategy, but the implementation. Yeah. You're going to get some things wrong. You're that's going to right. do things differently. You're going that's to have right. to let go of the old ways. <laughs> So talk about that role of, you've said it a couple of times, talk more about leaders have to do it differently in order to have this different outcome. And what are some of the strategies used used with those leaders to help them do it differently? Okay. Well, this is where we talk about uh, taking a look uh, at your people strategy. What are you currently doing to help develop healthy people that lead to a healthy organization, better people, better organization? I think some of that in the beginning, going back to what Craig alluded to earlier, is being able to do some simple surveys to actually see where people are in their thinking. Okay, our thinking leads, our feelings follow, and then our actions follow that. And there's all kinds of triggers and tripwires along the way inside there. Okay, and so what we want to do is understand where we are and then understand a little bit about who we are and why we do what we do. I think that's what Butterball did. I I don't know what it is with these uh poultry type companies. Tyson Foods is another great example. Uh, you know, we have an egg producer here in uh, close to Raleigh, North Carolina, that, that does this well. Uh, Braswell Family Farms, uh, one of Eglin's best, uh, you know, leading providers. What is it that Trey, Danny, these guys actually did? Well, they sat down and they thought about why they do what they want to do, and they saw it holistically. So some of it might be as simple as what we call is doing a trajectory study. If you're gonna launch something, you gotta understand trajectory because if you don't understand your trajectory, you can launch it straight up, land it right on top of yourself. (laughs) Or you could launch it and it could go, you know, you thought it was gonna go so far, but it only went this far. And, you know, we call, you know, just get it off the launch pad, but make sure it's going in the right direction and do some midterm corrections. I mean, that's what you alluded to earlier. So some of it is understanding what your trajectory is, some of the stuff that that you can do with lots of different tools. We sit down with senior leaders and help them do a two or three day kind of thing where they can uh, walk through their trajectory and they can think through their people strategy. Uh, alluding to something you said earlier, why it narrows down and the leader thinks that he or she uh, can't get it all done is because they don't have a framework to involve, involve other people to help them get it done. So some of the organizations that we work uh, through actually have employee-led teams yeah. that actually do some of this caring, do carry some of this weight. We actually have 
novel idea here. We actually have employee-funded organizations inside companies that actually help their people get better. And uh, they actually plan, the employees plan, the leaders, the senior leaders, they don't plan. They oversee, they have a voice into that. It's just not, you know, chaos. But there are ways, there are simple strategies to start employing this. You know, something as simple as a Monday morning momentum meeting. Did several of these yesterday with companies where they get their employees, depending on the size, maybe this or geographical or whatever, this may be challenging, but there's ways to do it, where you actually get together for a few minutes, you talk for about five or 10 minutes about a particular thing that would help them get better. It could be a mental health thing, could be a personal development thing, could be a professional development thing. There's thousands of things you could talk about. And then you talk about what is going on in their lives. And, you know, they you ask them, how's your family doing? You're sitting around a table, you're drinking coffee and you're having a real conversation. And, and maybe some of these companies even decide to pray over these things. And, you know, that's that's voluntary. And then the last part of that 30 minute meeting is you just say, what's on our slate this week? What does it look like? I mean, these are just simple things that you can do just to intersect low cost things that can be done to let people know that you care and that you're aware. And uh, yeah, they've, they've got to scale depending on how large a company are or how small you are. So that's so just the idea thing. that you're actually talking with people. You're actually yeah. getting their input. You're finding out what's going on in their lives rather than just sending a survey. When you first started out here, you, you said something about a survey and I was yeah. kind of rolling yeah. my eyes because um, uh, oftentimes true. we'll hide behind surveys. Yes. Oh, well, this is what people say, you know, rather than actually having conversations because conversations can take time. Conversations yes. can be uncomfortable, mm, especially if somebody's, you know, saying, hey, you need to change. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, you know, we, we say this all the time. Your company, like every company, it's a mess. <laughs> now you may think you may have, you may think you have it all together, but you, you know, tomorrow will come and there will be another mess. So yeah. here's your option. You can either run toward the mess and be a part of the solution, or you can run from the mess and it's going to be destruction. So mm. take your pick. You know, I think I think it's important that you make some good points there. One of the things that you said in there, you haven't actually I don't think you've used this word yet, Boomer, and I have a feeling that it's in here, though. And that is the concept. I'm sorry, you did use it once in a book title. Mm -hmm. Use the word trust. You talked about the yes. speed of trust. Talk about the role of trust in this entire dynamic mm -hmm. of building this holistic, healthy, people-centric culture. Yeah, I think, I think trust is the ambionic fluid. I think it's what we're floating around in. And either we're not floating because we got a hole in it somewhere. And it just it's just spewing out. It's going out faster and and we're not really floating. We're just flopping. And so I think, to be honest with you, I think trust is what we need to be elevating into the holistic conversation that we're having here. All the things we've talked about and all the things we haven't talked about lead to that mysterious thing of trust. You can't necessarily see it. You can't necessarily produce it, but we've all experienced it. And it comes down to conversation. It comes down to knowing me as an individual. You know, earlier you alluded to the fact, why is it difficult for some people to do this and not do this? Well, 
we get into personality testing and all those kinds of things. But here, I just want to make it real simple. A lot of people are more transactional than they are relational. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's not a bad thing. I'm a relational kind of guy. You know, people think I don't care anything about transaction. <laughs> I do. I love transactions, you know, but here's the deal. Whatever that spectrum of relational over here and transactional over here, somewhere I'm on this continuum and it's moving. Trust is all about the ability to relate and then move toward the transaction. One of my mentors said this continuum is like an animal that has spines on its back. If I, if I put my hand on the right side, it's tail, which is relationship. And I quickly, abruptly push toward the head. The spines will spring up and they'll just stick me and it'll be very painful. But he said, if I start on the relational side mm. in any organization and just slowly stroke the relationship, it's getting relaxed. I am moving toward transactions because that is equally as important as relation. So if you want makeup words, and I give you uh, Ford Taylor is actually the one that made up this word. Uh, it's the word between relational uh, and transactional and relational. It's trend. It's, it's relational. That's the word <laughs> relational. And uh, that's Ford's word for it. Somewhere between transaction and relationship is relational. And well, Glover, I got to say, you know, between, Porcupines and amniotic fluid. I have never, <laughs> never heard trust as in, in the. <laughs> well, let me use one of my favorite colloquialisms here. You know, a porcupine could whoop a skunk any day, but it might not be worth it. <laughs> yep. Let's think about that one a while. <laughs> well, a follow up question about trust. Yes, sir. I, I was at a, I spoke at a conference a couple of weeks ago. I had never asked this question to a group, a couple hundred people. And I first started off and said, raise your hand if you have. Uh, de clearly determined values in your organization. These were HR leaders. A little disappointed, it was only about half, and maybe some people didn't raise their hand, but whatever the number was. And I said, well, keep your hand up if one of your values is trust. I said, not honesty, not integrity, not things that seem like trust, but actually trust. And it was three. Wow. And mm -hmm. then I started thinking about it, and I've not come across it much. And I thought, and I said to the audience, we all seem to agree this is such a foundational piece. You said it's the fluid. It's, what, it's, the, it's the fluid of life, in fact. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's like we don't want to have that conversation. We don't want it to be out front. And I believe some of that is fear, mm. that leaders and organizations mm -hmm. don't yeah. want to believe that there's a trust issue because that's the worst kind of yeah. issue. And it's that means, oh, my God, what, how do we solve that versus the other is strategic. Yeah. Or, or, or tactical. So yeah. talk about what you've experienced in organizations. Do they really value trust? And do they actually talk about trust? Now, like I said earlier, I think it's uh, kind of nebulous. Uh, you can't necessarily see it. You can't necessarily metrify it. You can try to use some survey and try to ask people if they trust it. Maybe you can get some numbers that way, but you really, you really don't know. So sometimes it's eluding us. And I think uh, some of the key factors, uh, and we'll go back to something that I hear a lot of times uh, with senior leaders and owners, is when we're talking about the people advantage and being able to make better people, they'll say, well, that's not uh, really my job. 
they need to check that at the door when they come to work <laughs> and they need to do what they're paid to do. That's what, that's why they're here. Well, they're very transactional, not very relational when they say that. Okay. And that's the way a lot of people think. And whether they verbally say it or not, they'll they'll say it through the rolling of their eyes or they'll say it through their posture or whatever it is or something that they say a little bit later, maybe not as uh, direct. Now, some of them are direct and they just say it. Okay, but here's the deal. Because you can't check everything at the door. Think about the world we live in today. We've got a worldwide pandemic, which has turned the world upside down. We got economic disorder uh, in the United States. We've got lots of uh, concerns and worry over governmental leadership and polarization. Freedom. Got polars <laughs> using as a main tool to try to manipulate markets and all kinds of stuff. Just think about that for a moment and think about the unsettledness. And we'll go back to one of my favorite topics, which is people's mental health. Hmm. and why this is more important in the workplace today than it ever has been before. Why would they trust? Why, why would they even think about trusting? They don't trust their neighbor. They don't trust people in their community. They don't trust hmm. leaders. They, all of a sudden, we are in, you know, the, there's a huge hole and the fluid is leaking out. <laughs> and we're very disoriented. Because we're made to kind of float in, in this, and we don't know how to fix it. And I'm not sure we can fix it in some way. It's just a pure up straight fix. I think it's a process. Well, it's when a we look at the organizations that you know we, we consider trust to be important, so this is something that Jeff and I talk about a lot, and I know that you do too, Boomer. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about trust, we, we really... We say, okay, the leader has to go first. The leader has to trust their people. The, right. the leader has to become trustworthy yes. and develop the, the ability to listen to people and respond effectively mm -hmm. so that it builds trust. Yes. In that process then, how do we help them shift not only the organization, but the individuals who are coming into the organization who have been beaten down before, who don't trust the other people, where do you start in building trust with, with your leadership team and with the rest of the folks in, your, in an organization? Yeah, you've, you've hit right at the uh, foundational rock. Uh, it doesn't start necessarily in HR. It starts at the very top. Uh, the only way that you can re-energize and to bring the fluid back in is through demonstration, is through intentionality, is through people strategy, is through thinking through and doing everything that you do intentionally and figuring out how you set something in place to do that. Now, you don't have all day to do this. You've got to learn how to do this on the fly and on the go. And, and remember, uh, if you haven't heard this statistic, any organization, any country, any business, anything that you're working with, it only takes three to 5% of the people in key leadership positions to transform that entire organization. For better or three, worse, right? <laughs> that, that, well, yes, sir. You're exactly right. And that's why I think we have this today. So it does start at the top, but then it involves people in creating a framework where you are then putting things intentionally in place 
that I don't want to use the word autopilot, but these things happen regularly. Uh, they're intentional. It's something as simple as appreciation at work. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, taking time. Uh, that's different than recognition, by the way. If you don't know what that is, uh, we could talk about that some of the time. But appreciating people, do they have to produce to appreciate it? The answer is that is no. <laughs> that's part of the reason people don't feel appreciated. You didn't produce, so I don't appreciate you. That's mm-hmm. sad. And so it has to work its way down into the organization. And in the last to answer your question about new people coming in, that's where we talk about a employee personal development framework. Start at tier one. This process begins in tier zero, to be honest with you. Tier zero is before they're hired. What do we do in our hiring processes? What do we say about our company? Do we demonstrate the things that we think are important? Are we listening to them and understanding that they may be a good match? So that starts in tier zero. We make an offer. They accept it. Now they're in tier one. How does our onboarding look like? What does it look like? Do we do those things in onboarding? Do we demonstrate and show them where they can expect this? Tier number two is that 30 to 60 day, 90 day period where they're getting oriented to their department and our processes. And do we demonstrate it in that? Tier uh, three, uh, this is a one to three year plan of using a learning management system or something where we can actually have a elementary, middle school and high school uh, kind of framework that brings them through the developmental process to get to the last tier, mentoring. We want the outcomes of that to circle back through and to pick up people at tier one and bring going along with somebody through the process. That's the way you change a culture and company. It's intentional. It's long term. It's a commitment. Well, let's bring it down to the individual level of the leader. So the leader now has brought a new person onto their team. What do they say to that person? I'm, I'm more inclined to say, look, this is, this is the way the, the company operates. This is the way I operate. If you find me out of alignment in some way, call me out on it. You know, I'm, I'm open to having that discussion. Now, I, I, that puts the onus on me to follow up on that. But yeah. am I off or is there something else that you would do in that, in that initial conversation as you're, as you're going through the hiring process and then onboarding them? Yeah, I think part of it is, and, uh, you know, I have a friend that runs a company. I know you know who it is, Craig, up in New Hampshire. And part yeah. of the uh, process of him hiring somebody and onboarding is they spend time with Marion. And Marion lets his genuine, humble, authentic, committed personage come through in those conversations. And then I have another company down in Atlanta, so BPO down there, that actually their their CEO, they get a message from Mike uh, every, uh, whether it's monthly or how often he does it now, I'm not real sure. But there's something Mike, and you always have access to Mike. You have some type of inroad to Mike. So it's a less than imperfect. I mean, when you've got, uh, you know, uh, 1,200, 1,300 employees, it's hard to beat each one. But I can remember Marion saying that uh, if someone was um, upset about their pay rate, that one of the best things he could do is actually, and you think that should be the supervisor. I mean, this company of 700 to 800 people, that should be the manager, supervisor role. Well, Marion takes it on his own uh, because he's veteran, very entrepreneurial, and he'll say this to them. He'll invite them in for a discussion in that first year. He'll have a discussion. 
are we paying you the right amount? <laughs> now, how vulnerable is that? What's wow. the answer to that? If the if the employee says, "Wow, if I answer this question, he may fire me because he's not," you know, but he said, just be honest, because he said, "If you're not happy with your pay, and I'm not helping you with your cost of living," and, I said, and sure, they're going to have unrealistic expectations and everything else. There's some vulnerability there. Okay, let's be honest. It's risk. You know, we've got to mitigate risk. All that stuff. All right, but he asked the question to get to this answer. Yeah, I want to pay you that. And then the next thing is he says, how can you help me to get you to that level? <laughs> Very good. And there's it's actually developing your people. Yeah. And it's and it, Craig, imagine this. And I think you know this story. There's actually been people in this company that have actually created new ideas inside the company. Hmm. Marion actually funded their development. He yeah, calls right. them yellow line companies. And then when they get healthy enough, he spins them off into a separate company and blesses them to go and do. So wow. let's let's clarify what that means. A yellow yeah. line company is inside the warehouse, inside the building. They mark off a space inside yes. of that with a yellow line. Yes. They operate their mini business inside of that space until they're ready to launch. Right. Still under the auspices really of the larger company until yeah. they're ready to launch. And uh, so when they're ready to launch, he's done this with several different companies. And, uh, you know, we don't have time, but I can give you a specific one or two illustration, but, you know, we'll move on. That was very similar to the way I, I got my first company started. I, yeah. I, it was a spin out from another company and they provided all the resources, the access to clientele, the, yeah. the space, you know, whatever resources I needed to get that thing moving, which was, right. wow, what a great way to start. Yeah. It's like having an incubator inside your own yeah. company is what it's like. So. Boomer, that let, let me ask a question that really relates to what you just shared about that internal incubator. Mm -hmm. That may be right for all companies, but some it's not. Sure. Some it might not be. And that can be viewed as a really big thing. Yes. And what I'm hearing you say is a lot of this work is the my it's the little thing. It's strategic, yes. but it's those little things. In fact, a leader on a call yesterday with a client had this really great insight. He said, I'm realizing now that it's not how great my big interactions are it's how consistent my little action interactions yeah, are that's right that's and right. i said brilliant that's exactly what this. it's not about the biggest idea necessarily but being consistent in that interaction to ask the questions to listen to provide people with a safe experience to say okay i trust a little more this is okay like i'm gonna guess you know if he asked that person the first day they start marion about mm -hmm. their pay a lot of people are going to say, I can't answer that question, honestly. But over time, I start, yeah. you know, I've seen enough that says, yep, yeah. I can answer that question. Yeah. Well, a big part of the trust uh, quotient, if you want to narrow it down to some type of formula, is number one, safety. Yeah. And number two, consistency. <laughs> uh, people want us to be consistent. But, you know, the reason we can't be consistent in most times is because we can't remember what we did the last time we did. <laughs> so long ago. Yeah. And, and, and that's where it comes back to process. That's why you need a strategy, especially with your people. You know, and, and the, the only time we think about this is uh, in, in the HR space and sometimes the people space is we get concerned about uh, when we have to make uh, you know, lay people off or we decide to take an actionable item, then the first thing we say is, do we have documentation? Do we have our 
uh, number one verbal? Do we have our number two written? Do we have our number three? Uh, did we do this? Did we cross our dots? Because they're going to come back and challenge us. We could get sued. That's how we think about this. It's a very negative approach to it. When I, what I'm saying is, you know, corrective action, we like to call that carefrontation. We care enough to confront <laughs> you. Uh, you know, the, the reason we say that is because it's about making you better. You know, there's a difference between discipline and punishment. Yeah. Punishments, when I do something to you because it reflected what you did reflected badly upon me. So I'm ticked and I punish you. Discipline starts with me seeing that you have great value hmm. and that there is a preferred outcome Interesting. and it is better. So when I do disciplinary action, corrective action, confrontation. I'm thinking about how I make this person better. Hmm. Can I do that consistently? Have I got the trust format to do that? And see, the truth is, and who knows what the real percentage or makeup is of this, that people who get promoted into positions of leadership or management or supervision or whatever it is, uh, they're probably uh, less than equipped uh, to do the job that involves leading, you know, motivating you know, assessing and helping people. That's why coaching is important, coming alongside people and having many different offerings to do that as well. Well, I, I, first of all, that's another made up word and I love it. Carefrontation. <laughs> We've been uh, using I, that one now for a long time. So that's well, good. That one's probably going to get borrowed with full attribution because <laughs> I love that. And I love new words. Well, here's my question about that, uh, around that. We struggle, I believe, we as a collective leaders, managers, with feedback, how to do it, when to do it, doing it well. And I think even the bigger challenge is more often than not, feedback is critical, constructive. Yeah. It's how to get better. And you said it. I want to help you. I care enough to help you get better. So yeah. I'm going to tell you how to do it differently. And so often it's not part of the conversation to tell people what they did well. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest obstacle to leaders doing better at appreciation? Hmm. And what's the strategy or a st tactic to help them get better? Because, you know, even if we get better at giving constructive feedback, we still missed the appreciation and valuing yeah. that person. That's right. Well, I, I think uh, we'll get to the appreciation question there in just a second. But let me regress here just a little bit on what you said there at the beginning. You're back into the ambionic fluid. Does this person trust me enough to have these kinds of conversations? You know, we, we know that there's this idea, there's this friction that's going on all the time in our lives. It's, I want to succeed, I don't want to fail. That's happening all the time. And that friction is what you need to have that fluid to be in there. The trust hmm. keeps that from overheating as it rubs because it's going to rub. It's going to happen. I don't want to fail. I want to succeed. But, you know, sometimes failure is inevitable. And that's OK. We can learn from it. It's not a bad thing. OK. But again, that's a mental process. So how do you get to the place where you can have that trust? Well, a great place to start, and I appreciate you lobbing over the little softball so I could hit it, is appreciation. And we use Paul White. I've known Paul for, for several years. Matter of fact, I was one of Paul's first 
uh, you know, persons who actually came along beside him to help him get out the five languages of appreciation at work. It's actually an inventory that you can take to learn that some people, here, here's some of the key things. People are appreciated in different ways, okay? And all of you have some of the five languages in you. Everybody, some people like words of affirmation better. Some people like quality time. Some people like, you know, high fives and physical touch and handshakes and those kind of things. I mean, there's these five languages and you have two that you're really good in and one that you're not. So how that you, how can you create uh, an environment of appreciation in the middle of this? Well, first of all, I can know, Craig, what your language appreciation is. But you know what the danger is? I'm always going to communicate in my language to you. Hmm. OK, and in my language, my order is this. I'm a service guy. I like people to help me. OK, that's my number one. My number two is gifts. Now, well, excuse me, my number three, the least is gifts. Now, my number two is quality time. I like to be around important people who make decisions and it makes me feel good and appreciated. So let's say, Craig, yours is words of affirmation. You like for somebody to say, Craig, you're doing a dang good job. You know, and I'm over here going, hey, Craig, let me help you with that. And if that's your lowest one, <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not communicating to you. I appreciate you. It's something as simple as that, just understanding how each of us is unique and different. And when we get into situations and, and see, that's why I say that there's about three or four different tools that I should use to help me understand the person that I'm trying to work with, lead, coach, help. So essentially, uh, let me let me just yeah, uh, clarify this. Five love languages yeah. that yes. Gary Smalley came up with is well, that now was, adapted to this. Yes, that Gary and it's Chapman. not Gary, Gary Chapman, Chapman, not Gary. That's okay. I grew up in Winston Salem. I actually <laughs> went to church with Gary. I've known yeah. Gary for years, and those are the five love languages. And that's right. inevitably. I have you know I had the Maryland Department of Transportation contact me this week about coming up there and doing it for them. I had some wealth advisor group down in New Bern a couple of days ago want to come and share. And I just shared this at an eye care facility the other day. But the idea is this, is we took the love languages and we made them applicable. Paul White did that. I talked to Paul on the phone Monday. And actually, Paul took that and made it applicable to the workspace. And it's called gotcha. Appreciation at Work. And you can see it online. Okay. That's there. It's his product. It's his goods. I okay. deliver. Well, <laughs> the five love languages definitely helps in relationships. Yes, um, yes, it does. And yeah. it's cool. So, well, and my, my big takeaway is, and you wrapped it up brilliantly, maybe without knowing it, you talked about seeing people as individuals yes. and understanding that individual. And while I think some leaders see that as daunting yes. and they want to paint, a, they want to spray paint yeah. the solution. If you're going to treat people like humans, it means seeing that individual as a human, not as a collect, not just a collection of humans yeah. and really see them. Yeah. And if we do that as leaders, people will be engaged. They will, they'll be, they'll buy in if yeah. they have that trust and they'll have that trust. If they're seen as a, an individual who has value and matters, they matter. I think there's a, a simplicity to it. Uh, so boomers so good. 
I mean, I, I love that I walked away with like three new words. <laughs> I, mean, I will tell you, that's a new record. I ever was fluid, but oh All my right. God, three new metaphors and three new words. Oh, that, is that ambionic or symbiotic? I'm not that's sure which right. one is. <laughs> it is. Whatever it is, whatever that well, fluid that baby floats around in there. Right. Some kind of oily substance. <laughs> so Boomer, uh, so good. We always want to allow our guests to highlight or promote something for themselves or their business. What is that for you? Well, I think, uh, you know, right now we're in that season of time, fourth quarter of the year, where people start looking at their strategies for 2022 in this case. And um, as they're doing that, we always invite them to give us a call, shoot us an email, go to our website, uh, doinggoodatwork.com. And uh, book a time. It's easy. Just click there and, and book a time uh, to actually uh, talk to someone about your people strategy. Just some type of review of what you're doing. That's that's low hanging fruit. Uh, it's easy to do. Uh, we don't get too awfully deep there, uh, but we help you understand that either you need one, you don't have one, you want one. And then we can come along beside you, and help you work toward planning your people strategy. That's one thing. Uh, but I think the most important thing coming out of this uh, is where we are from our current strain on the workforce, on our personal lives, in the mental health area. That's why we have broadened what we call our base offering. Uh, and our base offering is referred to as the safety net offering. Uh, many people are familiar with a, an EAP, an employee assistance plan. Well, this is an, what we call an ECP, an employee care plan. And what we do is basically this. Uh, we Every Wednesday, an employee in your company receives a simple, short email with the video in it. Uh, usually it's me producing the video. Uh, and we talk about one aspect of mental health. And we just want you to make, make you aware of that. And uh, if you're struggling for that, at the bottom, you can just click on a button and you can go to what's called the safe place. And a safe place is just that. It's a safe place. It's a trusting place. It's a place where you can look over 144 different topics uh, that maybe you're struggling from one of those and you want a resource. You just click on the button and we send the resource to you. It's all nobody knows one's name. We don't share it with the organization. Let's say it gets to a level that's a little bit deeper. Uh, then at that point, we'll do what we call mental health first responder triage. And you can talk to someone about what's going on. And they're not professional licensed counselors. We're not trying to provide that kind of service, but they can listen and they can point you to some additional resources. And then last is that we actually can uh, get you to uh, a reference. We can refer you to someone in your community who is a licensed professional mental health provider. And here's the cool thing about doing good at work. We're a 501c3. That functions like a business. So guess what? Every dollar that you spend to us is a tax deductible dollar. Love it, Boomer. Then that's a that's all accessible on your website, correct? Yes. Yep. Doing good at work.com. Yes, sir. That's right. And, and Boomer, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Easiest way, quickest way is boomer at doinggoodatwork.com. So uh, Boomer, we always wrap up with one of our questions. And mm -hmm. the question I want to close with is. What's the movie, the movie, the scene, the character that speaks to you about leadership? Hook. And it's a Robin Williams film with Dustin Hoffman and Glenn Close. And it's a modern rendition of Peter Pan. 
And here's Peter Bannon, Robin Williams, caught in his day-to-day grind and the pressures of business, and it's overrunning into his life so that he's missing his kids' baseball games. He's missing his little girl's dance recitals. He's all hung up and just uh, caught in all of this stuff to do. And in the middle of this movie, he remembers his happy place. (laughs) And in that moment, he remembers his mother. He remembers his family. See, Peter Bannon, Peter Pan, was an orphan. And he remembered the love and the purpose for his life. And that caused him to regain his Peter Pan powers. (laughs) And hence, he's able to overcome Dustin Hoffman hook and he saves the island of you know the lost boys and it's a great movie i love it and it speaks volumes to where we are today it's so easy to get distracted by things that really aren't that important well boomer so good thanks for being here for sharing that and most important uh thank you for the work you're doing in the world absolutely you're welcome thank you guys appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today If you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.